Today's scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 48. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The word of God for the people of God. I hope that you're reading Adam Hamilton's book. Um, this is the title of Adam Hamilton's book. I hope you're able to read that with us as we go along. If you haven't gotten the book yet, you can still purchase that. We're following this for our Lenten uh, sermon series and studying it together. And today we're going to take a look at women in the Bible and how those women um, affect our faith. So with that said, let's pray. Holy and gracious God, you are so good. And there is so much in the world that needs your goodness. And so I pray, God, that as we walk through this together, that, that you might um, bless these words, that you might make them yours, and, and that together we might, we might learn and grow and become servants in your world. And I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So there's a phrase you sometimes hear, and it's, I see you. You know the phrase, I see you, it, it, uh, it can be a compliment. It can be something like you walk into your son's room and he's picked it all up and you say, oh, I see you, Jordan. I see what you did there. Or, or it can be a form of teasing. It can be a form of, um, you know, kind of razzing someone a little bit. For instance, you're in, in the main office and there's been a plate of cookies and the last chocolate chip cookie is gone and um, you have eaten it. And someone else walks in the room and you say, oh, I see that cookie's gone. I see you. I know what you did. And they're like, no, 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 I see you. And they're right. But it's just this form of, of, of teasing people. I see you. I see you. And, and what we're going to talk about today is how does God see us? How does God see us? We're going to think about the way that we experience God and the way God experiences us through this phrase, I see you. As Methodist Christians, we believe that God sees us, and the knowledge that God sees us is transforming for us. It enables us to do remarkable things that we could never do on our own. 
Some people are less likely to believe that God sees them. Adam Hamilton makes this point that it was revolutionary for Jesus in Palestine in the first century to interact with women the way he did. And it was. And so we're going to kind of look at this and see how that affects us. And, and what, how I want to begin this is with a little conversation about courage. So I'm going to ask you to talk to each other for just about 30 seconds or so. If you, um, I want you to turn to another person. If you're at home, you can do it in the chat or you can talk online. When I say the word courage, I want you to think of two things. What do you think of? What's the word that comes to your mind? When I say the word courage, what do you think of and who do you think of? Who comes to your mind when you say courage? And I don't, there's not really wrong answers, but there are very different answers. So I want you to take 30 seconds. When I say courage, what do you think of and who do you think of? Make sure no one's left out. Go. Come on back. I know I didn't give you much time. You guys are having good conversations. I really like to hear that. So when I, who do you think of? If you would just shout it out and shout it out because it's hard to hear up here. So who, who do you think of when I say the word courage? Rosa Park. Rosa Park. Great example. Lance Armstrong. Jesus. Jesus. Always a good answer and so true. So true. <laughs> Thank you. What? Your Nana. Yes, that's so good. First responders. The cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz. And oh, though apparently you were not the only one. And laws, laws, teachers. There are so many people that come to your mind when you say the word courage. I want to share the story of someone that I came across in the last couple of weeks, and someone that I thought of, and and her name is Fanny Lou Hammer. And she was a civil rights leader, she was a singer, and she has this incredible story. She, um, she came into her own, shall we say, in the 1950s and 60s. She was a sharecropper on a, on a farm in Mississippi during this time frame. You can imagine what that was like. And she had the courage, she went and registered to vote, and because she registered to vote, she lost her job as a sharecropper. Because they're trying to control her, right? But she had courage. And so that pushed her into the civil rights movement and she wasn't gonna sit back. She was a woman who had a very strong faith. And she embraced that whole faith tradition. She, she thought it was terribly important to worship and praise and honor and, and sing for God. And she went to her church and she did that. She was part of a prayer group at church and she spent a lot of time praying for what to do next. But here's what I love about Fannie Lou Hammer. She did that. She prayed very hard and very consistently. But she had this wonderful quote. And it's this. 
hard to switch. No, it's not actually that quote. I'm sorry. It is, you can pray until you faint. There you go. That's, that's my fault. You can pray until you faint, but unless you get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. I love that. She went to church to pray. She went to church to be a part of a community, but she didn't go to church to just pray and not do anything. She saw church as a command center, as a place where she would go and gather with other Christians, and then she would hear the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave her her marching orders and said, this is what you are to do. Be strong and courageous. And she would do it. She put herself at incredible risk. It was kind of amazing what she did. There is this recent biography about her that tells the story of a time that she was arrested and she was beaten so badly she could hardly move and she was holding on to another activist as they were waiting for help and she asked the activist to sing this song with her. And here's the words of the song, walk with me, Lord, walk with me, walk with me, Lord, walk with me, while I'm on this tedious journey. I love the word, this tedious journey. I need Jesus to walk with me. And I thought, I just wanted to share a little bit of it with you, so take a listen. This is Mahalia Jackson singing the first verse of this song. to walk with me. There she is, beaten and bruised and bloody. They are trying to get her to believe she is of no worth, that she is not important, that she is not seen by anyone. She can no longer stand on her own will or under her own power. And the words of the song, the song that she chose to sing when she is lying on the ground, beaten up, unable to move, or walk with me, Lord, I need Jesus to walk with me. It reminds her that she is not alone, that Jesus sees her. Jesus sees what they did to her. Jesus sees what society is doing to her. And she knows that Jesus is her hope and her source of power. Her experience of Christ in her daily life gave her courage and strength to continue. She kept her eyes on Jesus. She said, I see you, Jesus, knowing that she was seen. Fanny Harmer believed that when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you long for the kingdom of God to come on this earth, you can't sit still and wait for it to happen. She knew that courage is planted in your life the moment you realize that Jesus sees you and your struggle. 
and that allows you to gather up your courage and reach out to Jesus and walk with him. Listen, I believe in prayer too. I am like Fanny Hammer. I believe in prayer. I believe in early morning prayer. We, get, we gathered at 8 o'clock this morning just for prayer and meditation. I believe in online prayer. I believe in, in congregational prayer. I believe in all of it. And I will tell you all day long, spend time every day in prayer. And I will tell you that it is in prayer that the Holy Spirit comes and says, and now this is what I want you to do. And sometimes it requires incredible courage to go and do what it is that God is calling you to go and do. That's what happened to Fanny Hammer. She never anticipated being front and center of the civil rights movement, and yet she was. And she kept singing that song, walk with me, Lord, walk with me. Walk with me, Lord, won't you walk with me? She needed Jesus to walk with her. She had such courage. That's what happens when you, when you practice these spiritual disciplines. You get moved and then you have courage and, and you go do it. And often, often the actions that you're required to do, that God requires you to do, mean you're going to be vulnerable. You can be vulnerable. When you go out and do things for the Holy Spirit, it's usually not super easy. Sometimes, sometimes you get this lovely blessing that it is, but often it takes courage and it takes vulnerability. And today, you heard Dave read a story about a woman that had great vulnerability and such unrelenting courage because she wanted to see Jesus and she knew Jesus saw her. Look at the scripture. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. A woman with a sinful life. A woman who lived a sinful life. Do you think she enjoyed that life? No, I don't. Do you think she got up in the morning and said, oh great, I get to live a sinful life? No, I think she was vulnerable. I think she probably was single in a society where women couldn't own property. If you were a woman and you didn't have a husband or you didn't have a family to take care of you, you were at the mercy of society. We don't know what she did or what society did to her to make her sinful, but that's how she's classified, a sinful woman. She has great vulnerability. And yet she decides, she decides what she wants to do. And she gathers up her courage. I don't know how she did that. I don't know what happened to introduce her to Jesus, but she knew that Jesus was there. And so she gathers up her courage and she gets this incredibly expensive jar of perfume and she makes her way to the Pharisee's house. And she had to sneak in. Now in those days, the, the courtyard where they would have eaten was open and they would have been reclining around the table. And, and she gathers this courage and she's holding this jar and she doesn't care. And she makes her way to the feet of Jesus. And when she gets there, she's overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed with the feeling of being close to Jesus, close to the one that she knows sees her. And she starts to cry. 
And she cries and she cries. And, and as she's standing there, she is, she is wondering what to do. But she is overcome by this emotion. And I imagine she's, she's singing in her head, I need you, Jesus, to walk with me. I'll do anything to be close to you. She just came with this, with this jar, this alabaster jar of perfume, which was incredibly expensive, and, and she wanted to honor Jesus. She wanted to let him know that she saw him. She saw his love, his mercy, and his grace. She saw the hope of new life through the forgiveness that Jesus offers, and she wanted this fresh start. And so she stands at his feet, and she weeps. We call it ugly crying. Have you ever done the ugly crying? You know, your eyes get red and swollen and your face gets all blotchy and your nose runs. It is not pretty. It is awful. And that's what she's doing because she is overcome at the closeness to Jesus. And she is she weeping and weeping. The tears are just falling on his feet. And she wants to take care of it. And so she unbinds her hair and she dries his feet. And that was taboo in society. You did not uncover your hair in the presence of men. But she didn't care. She was taking care of Jesus. And so she dries his feet with her tears and she is close to him. And for her, it is everything. Here's what I notice when I read this passage. She is so focused on Jesus, she no longer experiences the judgment and the disdain of the people around her. It is as if she is in an island, she and Jesus, and everything around her is just noise. And she's just being close. She understands that Jesus sees her. When she is close to Jesus, she understands that she has worth and value. She is not an outcast. She is beloved. Jesus sees her. Would you say that out loud? Jesus sees her. She's not the only character in this story, though, is she? There's another character in there, Simon. I bet you've met Simon the Pharisee. Simon does not see people or life the way that Jesus does. Hospitality in the Middle East was of huge importance. And so when someone shows up at your home where you've been invited for dinner, you would expect to be greeted with water to wash your feet, with a kiss, with a welcome. Simon does none of this to Jesus. Simon's sole purpose inviting Jesus to dinner was to trap him. Simon didn't see Jesus of the love and forgiveness. Simon saw someone to entrap. And so Jesus goes to the house and, and Simon puts him at the table and, and that's important. And then Simon sees the woman. And you know, what's crazy is Simon doesn't see the woman. Simon sees, here's an opportunity I've been waiting for because I want to entrap Jesus and this woman is doing it for me. He doesn't see her of any value. He doesn't see the God-given beauty of her life. All Simon saw was sin. And rather than the loving act of weeping and anointing Jesus' body with perfume, Simon sees a trap. And he wants to expose Jesus as a heretic. 
This is, um, Luke gives us Simon's inner dialogue. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Notice, he said to himself, he didn't say this out loud. This is going on in his head, and here's what's crazy. Jesus knows what we're thinking. Jesus only had to look at Simon and know what was going on in his mind. In the silence, Jesus could have said, I see you, Simon. Simon believed that as a Pharisee, a man rooted in God's law, he was considered righteous above everyone else. Simon is so fixed on holiness that he can no longer see the woman. He can only see her sin and unworthiness to be in his home. Think of the contrast. Jesus is trying to woo this woman back into the family of God, and Simon wants to kick her out of his home and kick her out of the righteous life. Jesus turns to Simon and the woman and says this, do you see this woman? Simon, do you see this woman? And I want to judge Simon. I want to just judge Simon all over the place because obviously Simon doesn't see the woman. But sometimes in my life I have noticed that Jesus will say the same thing to me. And maybe you've had the same experience. You would think that if we know that God sees us and loves us, we would want to love and see others too. But often we are more like Simon and less like Jesus. Like Simon, we have excuses for why we don't see people. The other night, I was leaving the church. And can I tell you, last week was a week here at the church. Like it was it was a week of everything happening, and there were a lot of people on vacation, or well, there were a couple people on vacation. Some were out sick. Some, there was just a lot going on, and, and I kind of felt like I am holding up the church, which I realize I wasn't, but it maybe felt like that just a little bit. And, and it was, so it was a long week, and it was one day. It was the middle of the week, and I'm leaving, and I walk to the car, my car in the parking lot, and as I'm walking out, I'm thinking, whoo, I'm so glad I'm going home. I'm ready to go home, just put my feet up and, and relax a little bit. And as I get to my car, I go on the passenger side and I put my, my stuff in there. And as I shut the door, I hear another car pull up over here. And as I turn around, there's, there's this woman in the car, and I've seen her a few times. And she rolls down her window and she says, oh, pastor, I wanted to see you. Could we just talk for a few minutes? And I'm thinking, but I'm hungry and when I'm hungry, it's not pretty. And I'm like, oh, I, okay. And I honestly, I wish I was a better person. I wish I would have said, of course we can. And, and, and instead, I almost, I almost put her off and said, let's, let's do this another time. And in my head, you know what I heard? Do you see her? Do you see her? And I went, oh, okay. And so I said, yeah, of course. And I got, she said, come just sit in my car for a minute. She said, it won't take long. So I sit in her car, and she turns to me, and you know what she says? I wanted to thank you and the church. Today is my 30th day of sobriety. 
And Jesus is like, see? <laughs> Honestly, I was overcome with emotion with that. And, and I said, help me understand what you mean by that. And she said, well, she said, it's been a pretty rough couple of years. And she told me a little bit about her life, and it was tough. She'd made some choices she wasn't fond of. She wasn't proud of what she had done. And, and she said, and then I was like, I probably should go to church. So I'm going around looking at the internet, looking around what might be close. And I came across your church online. And I started looking through it and I thought, well, maybe, maybe. And then she started attending online uh, several weeks ago. And she would come online week after week and she would be behind the camera, as we say. And she said, you know what? I liked who I saw. I went around the website and I looked at what you did and I thought, wow, they do some really great things. And after I attended worship for a few weeks, she said, I pretty much felt God was telling me that I needed to do something more. And, and I went to the website and I saw your church offers AA. And if your church offers AA, it must be safe. And so she got in her car and she drove to the parking lot and she got out of her car and she walked into the building and that took such courage. And she walked downstairs and she walked to the room and she sat in a chair and she stayed. And that takes such courage. And she said, I kind of wanted to run away. But I kept coming back because I kept hearing that this church was safe and that it loved people no matter where they were. 30 days, sobriety. It was huge. Jesus saw her. She saw Jesus. And I left. I got out of the car and I was not tired anymore. I was just full of this energy. I was so excited about what had happened. And, and I, I was alive and courageous that the mission of our church was being lived out. I felt brave about my conviction that the Holy Spirit is working in the world and changing lives because of our church. I felt stronger about what we call provenient grace. We talked about this last week, that grace that is always, always calling us, and this grace called her, and she came, and she experienced welcome, and she experienced hospitality, and she experienced love, and she felt seen. And before I left, I said, can I tell your story? And she said, oh, yeah, because I want other people to experience this. Jesus asked the question to Simon, Simon, do you see her? Here's what I find really interesting about this. So often I read that as si Jesus is poking at Simon. Jesus is poking at Simon, but, but sometimes seeing Jesus is also about opening our eyes to the power of Jesus. Simon, do you see her, was not to call Simon out, but to invite Simon in. What if Jesus, by asking the question, is inviting Simon back to the circle of love and grace? He invites Simon to look beyond the labels of society and his own preset boundaries into a world where people can change. 
And love is powerful. He invites Simon to look at this woman through his eyes. Because Jesus saw people, not not labels, not the confinements that are put on them, but the people underneath. And Jesus doesn't focus on what's wrong with the person. He focuses on the person. He saw a beloved child of God, a person of courage, hungry for God's grace and mercy, and he invites Simon to see that and to experience that too. The woman knew that Jesus saw her. And because of that, she gained courage to stop caring what Simon thought and fix her eyes on Jesus. And once you understand that Jesus sees you and loves you, then you want to have him in your sight. That's why you sing that song, Walk with me, Lord, walk with me. Knowing that God sees you makes all the difference. It gives you courage to move forward. It gives you courage to stand up and be seen, even though it might mean hardship. It gives you the desire to see other people. We're all called to see. We're all invited into the circle of Jesus' love and grace. And today, in just a few minutes, you're going to receive Holy Communion. You're all invited to come because this this is Christ's table, the Christ who sees you the Christ who hears you. And it doesn't matter what you're carrying. It doesn't matter what you've been. Jesus wants to see you and for you to see him. So as you come forward today, can I ask you to think about two things? Two things. Who are you being called to see? And what are you being called to allow Jesus to see? Not that Jesus doesn't already see it, but sometimes we just have to say it. Are you willing to commit yourself to seeing and being seen? Lauren's coming forward to help us prepare for Holy Communion, and as she does that, I invite you to just close your eyes for a few seconds and take a deep breath and ask God to see you and to help you see others. Amen. Amen.